Hello, welcome to A Disciple's Tidbit, a small seed of information to help grow your faith. My name is Craig, and I want to invite you to sit back and enjoy this mini-episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's A Disciple's Tidbit. So what I want to talk to you about today is something many Bible teachers have actually taught over the years that I've been a Christian. And I want to address this today because I honestly believe the same thing that of what I'm about to teach today, uh, until one pastor actually challenged, um, not necessarily me personally, but at a um, church service that I was attending, and he said this during the sermon, and I was like, you know what, he's right. So that's the concept and idea that when we sin as new covenant believers, that our fellowship with God is broken, and that he actually is the one that withdraws fellowship from us. So I want to address this today, and I mean, I've even heard Charles Stanley say this, you know, it's like when we sin, our fellowship with God is broken until we confess our sin, and then it's restored. I actually was listening to a pastor that said, show me in the Bible where it says that, and I started thinking about it, and I'm like, you know what, he's right. So, and we're talking in terms of the new covenant. You can find umpteen million, I say umpteen million, I'm being facetious when I say that. Um, you can find numerous uh, references to that idea in the Old Testament that whenever we sin, that God will hide his face from his people kind of thing, right? But in the New Testament, it's a completely different thing, okay? And I'm going to go through a lot of scripture here to back up my point, because I could make any kind of assertion without it being actually said in the Bible um, to make my case, then it's kind of moot, right? So we're going to start with probably one of the most famous Bible verses of all time, John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then further, um, in the next couple chapters in the book of John, in John chapter 6, verse 29, it says, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Right. So it carries this idea, not only did Jesus do everything that we need for eternal life, that the only thing that we need to have for to gain eternal life is to believe. Right. And we're going to build on that a little bit more brick by brick. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 11 and says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And I'm going to continue in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So there's four scripture references right there. Boom. It is belief of which we lay hold of eternal life and have eternal life. And some people will say, no, 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 you have to have good works to back it up. In uh, John, uh, I'm sorry, James chapter two, verse 24, it says, for we are saved by what we do and not by grace alone. And that sounds like a huge contradiction, right? 
but I'm going to refute that notion right now with the very next verse in Ephesians chapter 2, um, in verse 10, where it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That harmonizes very well with the verse in James. It says we're not saved necessarily just by faith, but also by what we do. I think the good the good uh, balance with the idea that I'm building here is that it belief is what saves us. It is not our works that save us. Okay, what I think the place of works in the believer's life is is that they are saved by the grace of God. They when they believe in Jesus Christ, they then have the appropriated work that Jesus did in living out the perfect life, dying on the cross and raising from the dead, all of that is appropriated to the life of the believer at true belief, right? And confession, because in uh, Romans chapter 10, it is by also confessing that Jesus is Lord, confessing them that he is the Lord over our lives. He is the king. We surrender all to him and we believe that God raised him from the dead. Right. That's what the book of Romans uh, says in, in chapter 10, verses nine through 10. Right. But this concept that we actually do anything to earn our salvation, I believe, is refuted by the notion in here in uh, Ephesians two, verse 10. Basically, we're saved unto good works or we do works from salvation. We don't work it to salvation. We go from the place of salvation to do works. There is a mountain and a litany of difference there, okay? And we're going to go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. It says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The idea here is the factor that it is the Spirit of God upon belief and we are sealed then by the Holy Spirit that is moving us in the direction of the idea of sanctification, right? In Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working within us to be able to create the perfect life that Jesus actually lived out, but yet we are being sanctified into and that we don't sit here and perfect it in the flesh. It is the Spirit of God moving within us, having been sealed with the Holy Spirit upon belief, right? We are in a secure place of salvation, and that we are being moved by the Spirit to the fruits of the Spirit into that perfect life. So it's not us doing it. It is God working His life within us, and we lean and rest in that work, right? Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light. That is why, right? Because we don't work to salvation. We work from salvation. Huge difference, huge difference. And in 1 John chapter 1, it's starting in verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Continuing in chapter 2 of 1 John in verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. 
if we keep his commandments, right? His commandments were two, right? So we're talking in, I believe it's in uh, the book of Matthew. Um, he was asked, what, what, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your whole soul, heart, mind, strength, and spirit. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. In these hang the law and the prophets, right? So that is the commandments I believe that uh, the Apostle John is talking about when he says, if we keep his commandments, the, the commandments of love, really. So on our topic, though, we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace unto good works, right? And we do those good works because we love God and because we're doing it from a place of salvation. But what if you sin? Does God break his fellowship with us? I say no. We're the ones that do that. Okay, and I'm going to give an illustration from the book of Genesis. And this is long before the law was given. Right. So obviously um, setting the backdrop here in uh, Genesis chapter three, we know that previously in Genesis chapter two, uh, God told Adam, you may eat any plant in the garden except the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil of that. You shall not eat of it in the day you eat of it. You shall die. Right. That was the word given to Adam. Now in uh, Genesis chapter three, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. In Revelation chapter 12, it identifies who this serpent is, and this is Satan. This is Satan. So generally, you want to have scripture interpret scripture. Picking it back up, he said, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? He's already twisting the word of God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of, of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now she's adding to the word of God. God did not say you cannot touch it. But then again, why would you touch it unless you're going to eat it, right? But then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the temptation that Satan himself uh, wants to do. In Isaiah chapter 14, we're told that um, there is a king that uh, Isaiah is talking past the king to the power behind the king and says, I will be like the most high. So basically, Satan is tempting the first man and woman with the same temptation that he himself fell into. And this is basically why we're consigned to the lake of fire in Revelation 20 if we don't receive Jesus Christ because we follow in the same rebellion as Satan. And actually, the lake of fire is for the devil and his angels. But again, we fall into the same kind of rebellion. We're consigned to the same punishment if we don't receive Jesus Christ. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. He he directly received the command of God. I think he kind of threw her under the bus, used her as a, as a test. When she didn't immediately die, he's like, okay, I'll eat of it too. Here's the thing. Here's my point. In verse 8, and when they heard the sound of the Lord God work, uh, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden, but the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, when I heard of the sound of you in the garden, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. 
Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then basically starts the fall and sets everything of the Bible into motion, right? So the point that I bring up with citing the story in Genesis chapter 3 is because who was it that hid? Did God withdraw his fellowship? Because clearly God is omniscient. He knew what happened, right? He still sought them out. Who was it to hid? It was the man and the woman. They hid themselves because they had sinned. So I postulate my position is, is when the Christian sins, it is not God who breaks fellowship with us. And then we have to restore that fellowship. It's the other way around. We break fellowship with God. And when we come back to God, he's still right where he was. Right? He's still right here. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul admonished the Corinthian believers in verse 18 to flee from sexual immorality. Basically because... You know, any other sin, when you lie to somebody, when you steal something, you're sinning outside the body. But when you sin sexually, you're sinning against your own body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is right here. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, God doesn't move. You're the one that moves, right? So if you commit a sin in uh, obedience to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 through uh, chapter 2, verse 1, you confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All right? I don't believe that's just simply at the first point that you convert to Jesus Christ. I believe that's an ongoing process. Because even the Apostle Peter uh, illustrated in Galatians chapter 2, juxtaposed with, I believe it's Acts chapter 10, Peter sinned. And he was considered to be the greatest apostle. He's the lead apostle, right? And he sinned by shrinking back and separating himself from the Gentiles, from the Gentile believers in Christ. Paul was the one that had to go correct him and say, you know what? You're doing the wrong thing here, brother. You need to correct that. And if he could be restored back to his proper position, why can't we? We have one that speaks to the Father in our defense. So if you find yourself in a pattern of sin, I challenge you right now, repent and turn away from that. Confess it to the Lord and say, I'm not going to do this. Right. And if you're tempted, you need to do whatever you need to do to be able to not fall prey to that temptation. We don't do it in of our own strength. We have the Holy Spirit within us to be able to give us the resources, the power and everything we need to live the life of God and godliness that God has called us to live into. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so. If you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer, and that's great to 
confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart. By simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.